Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. With me today is Cordelia Yoakum, author of From the Core, A Spiritual Journey of Losing Everything and Finding Hope. Welcome, Cor. So glad to have you on the show. Thank you, Lori. Really glad to be here. So you're going to talk to us a little bit about TBI and a lot about PTSD. So I'm just going to give you the reins and let you start. Mm, Thank you. Well, I know a lot of your listeners, Lori, in particular right now, just given everything that everyone's going through, there's a lot of trauma. Yeah. Just a lot of trauma. So in order to kind of level set who I am and who I'm not, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm not a coach. I'm not any of those things. <laughs> I am a person simply who has been diagnosed with traumatic brain injury. And because of the traumatic brain injury and everything that kind of happened within that scope of my life, I also have been diagnosed with PTSD. I did not see that coming. I did not see the PTSD diagnosis coming. So I went on a 40-year journey of wandering through the wilderness of what on earth is wrong with me? Like what is going on? And it wasn't actually until 2019 that I was diagnosed with PTSD. I'd like to just kind of take you on a journey of, first of all, what is TBI, traumatic brain injury? What is PTSD? And then kind of what is my experience with it? That would be great. And one thing I want to say is what hit me so strongly as I was listening to your book is that nobody believed you. And Mm. it just hurt my heart. So Mm. with that said, please tell us your story. Well, and you just hit the nail on the head. That is actually the origin of the PTSD, Mm. is not being believed, being rejected, being dismissed, and being misunderstood. And that caused such a knock-on effect in my life. So I'll start by saying my name is Cordela Yoakum, but everyone calls me Cor. So for those of you listening and for Lori, you're welcome to call me Cor during the course of our conversation. The book that I wrote and released in January of 2020 is called From the Core, A Spiritual Journey of Losing Everything and Finding Hope. And I don't know where this finds you, but I suspect that many of you are in that space where you feel like you've lost everything. And if I can just say one thing at the top of this conversation, it's that hope is real and hope is possible. Whatever your story and whatever your situation, I just want to speak that truth over your life and know that I am someone standing on the other side of 40 years in a wilderness of devastation, and I'm standing firmly on the foundation of hope. So I hope that gives you something to hold on to as we sort of dive into this conversation. I love that. So when I was seven years old, I fell out of a two-story window while holding my baby brother, who was at the time nine months old. Not an ideal circumstance. The blessing of that circumstance is that he fell on me. I did not fall on him. Otherwise, the story, I'm sure, would be very different. But at the time, I'm 48 years old. I just turned 48. And traumatic brain injury, we know so much more about traumatic brain injury now than we did when I fell out of that window. And so there are two types of traumatic brain injuries. One is called closed head injury and the other is called open head injury. And without getting into the specifics, you pretty much know the difference. (laughs) It's pretty clear. So I sustained what's called closed head injury. And to give you an idea of how traumatic those types of injuries actually are, Liam Neeson's wife, Natasha Richardson, when she fell skiing, she also died of traumatic brain injury from a closed head injury. That was so awful. So they're very sneaky. Mm -hmm. Those injuries are very sneaky. And to put some statistics on that, traumatic brain injury is the leading cause of death and disability in children. Really? Yes. 
And children are defined in this instance, in this study by the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, as zero to 14 years old. So from zero to 14 years old, the number one cause of death is traumatic brain injury and falls within traumatic brain injury, because that can be a whole host of things that lead to traumatic brain injury. Falls are the leading cause of traumatic brain injury. So traumatic brain brain injury is the leading cause of death and falls are the leading cause of that traumatic brain injury. Wow. 475,000 children sustain TBI annually. And when you think about the impact of that, I was a functioning seven-year-old child and I sustained not only one traumatic brain injury, but actually two. So seven, I fell out of the window. I limped through life. Like I was kind of fine. I had all of these neurological symptoms, but I would go to doctor after doctor after doctor and they would kind of not find anything, right? With the testing available at that time and nothing was bleeding and nothing was falling off. So they just pronounced me fine, which of course I wasn't. And so then that caused everyone to say, what's wrong with you? Because nothing's wrong with you. That's right. At a certain period of time, when all of the adults in the room are starting to question what's really wrong with you, when you see someone come in in a white coat and you're seven years old, I mean, that's not only an adult and a person of authority, but that's also a respected and revered person of authority in our culture, right? And in many cultures, doctors certainly are the, the, the authority in medical circumstances. And so when the authority over my life as a child and certainly my circumstance said to me over and over again, nothing is wrong with you, then what ended up happening in my family and just in that entire conversation was, what's wrong with you on a character level? Because if nothing's wrong with you physically, something's clearly wrong with you, that you're saying you're sick all the time and that you're having these episodes. And so then the question became, what's wrong with you Mm. on an emotional level? And that question, it really created this weird schism within me because on one hand, I was super clear something was wrong with me physically. Like I just knew it on an intuitive level. But then those questions and my ability to process what was happening on a psychological and emotional level, mental level as a seven-year-old, those questions started taking root in my own psyche, like what really is wrong with me. And so that was the schism by which I believe PTSD took really took hold in my life. And so I then developed PTSD. Now keep in mind, both the traumatic brain injury and the PTSD were not diagnosed until 2019, which was yesterday. (laughs) So I have been on this journey of health and recovery and it actually, the PTSD and the TBI was revealed during the course of writing the book. So your story is just never over. It's never over. Isn't that the truth? (laughs) Right? And thank God for that. Thank God that it's not over Mm -hmm. because I think we need that something to hold on to. So when I finally was diagnosed with PTSD, I had been speaking about physical resurrection for a while because I sustained the first traumatic brain injury at seven years old. Then I was in a a massive car accident when I was in my mid thirties. And that in brain injury, that's often called the second impact or the second assault, often not the first assault that will really be devastating. It's the second. That second assault actually, in very short order, rendered me home and bedbound. So I was living in New York at the time, 
I had a luxury handbag line. I thought I was pretty fancy. I had a loft in the meatpacking district when they were still packing meat down there. It was like super cool and edgy. Mm -hmm. And I was living the life that I kind of had dreamed for myself. And within very short order, I was no longer able to even stand up. I would crawl to the bathroom. My mom had to come and help me sort of cope. And then it became very clear that I was no longer able to care for myself. So I had to liquidate my business and I had to leave New York City and move in with my parents. Basically give up your dream. Yeah. Well, give up my life. Yeah. Wow. Give up my life. So I, in, it was December 12, 2006 that I left New York City and went home to my parents and I really went home to die. Mm. I had been on such a long journey of my health and I had, as so many of us do, when we try to cope with things that are as yet unexplained or inexplainable, I covered it up with what I called the cheerleader. So I had this persona that I had developed who was super cheerful and super extroverted and really friendly and ultra smiley. She was the captain of the cheerleading team and the princess of the city of Spokane and all of these things. But on the inside, I was an incredibly brokenhearted individual who felt rejected and dismissed and not seen on a very core foundational level. That was incredibly devastating in my life. So when I went home to live with my parents, I had lost all hope that I could lift myself physically out of this pit that I had been trying to dig myself out of since seven years old and nobody was available to help me. And I just sort of surrendered to that devastation. So when I went home to live with my parents, I couldn't walk. I often couldn't speak. And sometimes I struggled to breathe. So I would awaken to my mom holding her hand above my mouth, just making sure that I was still breathing. So I never expected to come back from that place. But as life often has additional chapters, when we think everything about our story has been written and it's going to end so horribly, my life didn't end there. So I went on a journey. I ended up I ended up leaving my parents' house. I got a job. Her name is Nicole Donnelly. She, I don't know if you remember the company Baby Legs. Do you remember mm, Baby Legs? I think I do, Yeah. Yeah, it was an infant toddler preschool, little leg warmer. It was a woman who created a leg warmer and (laughs) out of that one product created a $5 million business. And she caught wind of me because I had been in fashion and she was in fashion. I don't even remember how she caught wind of me, but she did. And she had me develop a sub brand for her for Target which I did while laying on the floor of my parents' living room. Mm. And she loved it so much. And we ended up having quite a good rapport and good relationship. And she hired me to sit on her executive team. The operative word being sit, which I couldn't even sit up. Really? So when she gave me that challenge of like, why don't you come to Seattle, live in Seattle and sit on my executive team? Like my response to her was in what world? Like in what world? I'm not even sitting up, but- I just so to this day have a relationship with her and appreciate her because she issued me a challenge when I had nothing else to hold on to. You had given up. And I had. I had $30,000 worth of debt from my business, from my business in New York because I wound it down really quickly. And so all of the things that the sales that I was expecting to make, of course, I didn't make. And so I wound it down really quickly and I had $30,000 debt. And I remember taking the job for the specific and sole purpose of not leaving my parents with my debt when I passed. That was my reason for working. And so when I fulfilled that by taking the project and by making enough money to cover that debt, I didn't really have another vision beyond that. 
because survival was my, was my life. So there was no vision casting of like, what if I do this? And then how about this? There just wasn't anything. I was like, well, this will hold me over until I die, which felt very eminent for me. So when Nicole said, come to Seattle, my parents, I mean, we all just were terrified, but they put me in a car. They drove over. I rode in the back seat, laying down with a barf bag because I couldn't just take anything. And so they drove me over to Seattle. I rented a place on Craigslist site unseen. It was some guy in the tech space. He and a friend, they were going to be super fancy and they were going to fly over to Europe and pick up luxury cars in Europe and drive them around Europe and then ship them back. Apparently that sort of lowers the price on them. So they had this idea that for a month they were going to buy luxury cars and drive around Europe. And so I rented this guy's apartment mostly because it looked very similar to the loft that I had left in New York. So I kind of just wanted a little piece of my heart back. So, and I also didn't know, I didn't want to like get all my furniture out and sign a lease because I didn't A, expect to live and B, had no idea if I could even function a day in Seattle. Wow. So I rented this guy's apartment. My parents quite literally carried me up to the door, one on each elbow, and we rang the doorbell and the landlord opened the door and the poor thing, I saw it happen. He just instantly fell in love with me. Oh. Like I I watched it happen. And so I went from my parents' arms and my parents as my caretakers to the landlord's arms. And he was my caretaker and really one of the few people I saw for almost the next decade. And you were working that whole decade. I was working that whole decade. I ended up changing jobs in the middle because Baby Legs ended up getting sold and I took another job with a company in New York. I was also sitting on that executive team. I also got hired by that CEO who also knew my circumstance. And when we think about all the people that are out of work right now, my heart really pounds in my chest for people with a disability. And if employers only knew how important industry is to people who want to work so desperately and have limitations and challenges and are so often overlooked. I mean, I could not sit up. I could not sit up. And I still got hired to sit on roles in C-suite companies. And these weren't little positions, right? The Nicole had a $5 million business, the company in New York, we went from zero to 25 million in sales. That company is now 50 million in sales. I named that company. I set the market strategy. I established the brand. There are people out there right now that have a disability that are incredibly capable. I would just implore employers to not overlook these people. They want to work. They want to work and they're incredibly good. Cor, if we stopped right here, that would be enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, your story's incredible. And to say, let's value people, yeah. even yeah. when they maybe aren't valuing themselves. But yeah. there's so much more. <laughs> so. There is so much more. Can we take it? Can we take it, Lori? <laughs> I know, can we? Well, so what I would say from there is that I ended up going on a journey with the landlord. I ended up leaving the landlord. I got, we got pregnant. I was engaged and everything came crashing down. And when everything came crashing down, I already thought I had kind of met rock bottom with my face. And, (laughs) you know, when you end up leaving the only relationship that you've known for 10 years, and I know you have a story of, of that type of loss as well, but he really was often the only person I saw for days, weeks, and months at a time. So my son rose and set with his face. We were engaged. I got pregnant twice. I lost both pregnancies and walking out of that relationship came to a question that I had never really asked myself before. And the question is this, at the very core, at the very root of me, 
Who do I say that I am? Who do I say that I am? And there are so many layers to identity. If from the core is anything at the heart of this work lies this question of identity. Who do you say that you are? Simon Sinek is famous for saying that the why lives at the center of a life. And once you find your purpose, and I was right there with you, I was right there scrambling to find my why. But what I've realized over the course of this five years of physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual realignment is that The core is the ground state from which everything in your life emerges. And at that core is this question of who do you say that you are? So it's more who than why. It's who. It's who. If you can't answer who you are, then how on earth are you going to be able to answer why are you here? And so often who we think we are is what everybody tells us. Yeah, there are layers to identity, right? There are layers. So the makings of identity include things like who are we at a base level? Who are we as a human? What does it mean to be human? And then who are we when we're, I call it, stripped nude? So if you were to stand in front of the mirror nude, what are the identifying markers of an unadorned life, right? Your DNA, your race, your culture, your gender, whatever defining characteristics are really evident in your physical body. And then there are the labels, which is what you were just referencing. And we apply them to our own life, right? So our marital status, our job title, whether we're a mother or father, whether we've never had any children, whether we've lost a child or lost a husband, we have all sorts of layers and labels that we put on ourselves, including even things like our hobbies, our skills, our talents, right? Like I'm a singer. If you look at any of these social media platforms, it's often like wife, mother, creative director, like we slash all these labels and that appears to be how we define our identity. And then, of course, it's our name, the name that we carry and the names that we bear, whether they're the name that we were given, the name that we give ourselves, or nicknames and all that kind of thing. Inside the makings of identity is this question of origin. I really thought to myself, if there was a God, that his job in the world was to heal me physically and If he could just get on that, please, that would be awesome. (laughs) Like I was kind of like, this is the root of all of the problems in my life is this fact that I have this physical malady. And the reality is that there is a spiritual question that everyone has to answer for themselves. And that is wrapped in this idea of the makings of identity. And so you have the makings of identity and then there is a schism in your identity. And I talked earlier about this, I called it creating the cheerleader, but there's something that happens that that splits your identity in two. And for me, when I was seven years old, I processed the trauma that I was going through through this seven-year-old mind, right? So I was learning the value of money and I was counting money. And my dad had given me this little coin collection, this minted coin sleeve. And there there was like a penny in there and a nickel and a dime and a quarter and a 50-cent piece and a silver dollar. And I did not realize it until I started working through all of these questions of origin that with my seven-year-old mind, I created a schism in my identity that said, I'm broken Like I believed at a root level, at a core level, I was broken. I was a flawed human being and I was what I called 50 cents on the dollar. Everyone else was a full dollar and I was 50 cents. And so for the rest of my life, for these 40 years that I waded through this mistaken identity, I believed I was 50 cents, which meant I had to prove myself. I had to try harder. I had to do more. I had to be more. All of the things that was the chasm between my 50 cent behavior or my 50 cent belief and all the behaviors that came from that and my real full dollar identity. 
And so that's, that's where I ended up. Lori was this promise of identity, which is that you are a full dollar. If I know anything to be true, it's that each person, regardless of their circumstances, when you do the work of who you are at the core of your being, you will find that you are whole and complete just as you are. You are a full dollar. You are lacking nothing and you are certainly not less than. And that journey is what I go on in the book. I love that. So we're going to have to get the book and find yes. out. So tell me, you were diagnosed just last year before COVID. Yeah. Finally, you get diagnosed and then we get shut yeah. down. I know. Oh I know. And I go into isolation all over again. Oh my gosh. So when you got the diagnosis, uh, how did that change? It was like when you finish a hardcover book and you slam the book together and makes a thud. Mm -hmm. I felt like I had closed a book, that there was a beginning and there was an end, that there was trauma. There was a a wonderful acknowledgement and validation that there was trauma. Trauma happened, Mm -hmm. right? That that I didn't make it all up. Trauma happened. (sighs) And then that was one side of the book. And the other side of the book was, and it was traumatic. Yes. Trauma happened and it was traumatic. So the TBI diagnosis was trauma happened and the PTSD was, and it was traumatic. But with both diagnoses, my, that chapter of my life closed like a book and made a sound. And what I had to sit with, and I'm still sitting with this question and I'm unwrapping this question in my life right now, which is who am I without this pain? And, and that's the journey now that I'm inviting everyone on. So I wrote the book from the core. I released it thinking like everyone who released a book in 2020 that mm-hmm. was going to be a book tour and speaking engagements and all the things that generally authors do. And that, of course, didn't happen. And so I had to unwrap the conversation differently. And I started hearing from people who were saying just through tears through tears saying, you've written my story. And if this can happen in your life, I want this to happen in mine. How did you do it? And I loved what you said about your book, Laura. You said, I'm not about the antidote because everyone's story is different. And I really felt that. So I really, I really had a big resistance to, (laughs) I'm not going to, I can't, I I don't even know how it happened myself, like let alone, (laughs) am I going to tell you how, how to do it? I just, I feel so unqualified for that. And I am unqualified for that. But what I'm absolutely qualified to talk about is my story. And then at each stop in my story, I ask the reader, tell me more. So I've developed a workbook and that workbook is full of all the questions that I found myself asking in this five-year period of physical, mental, emotional, spiritual transformation and healing and recovery. Every question that popped up for me I also asked the reader. And so there are going to be four workbooks. We're going, to, we're going to unroll it over the course of a whole year so that you have time to really dig in deep. There are going to be videos. There's going to be online learning. There are going to be groups for you to unpack this within or to do it solo. You'll, you'll have all the tools to do it by yourself, but it will be a four series workbook where you can walk through this from the core journey and excavation to your own core, your own ground state from which everything in your life emerges and answer the question, who do you say that you are? Oh, I love that so much. I wish we could go on because one of the too. one of my thoughts is that's what you're doing 
is not an antidote. You're actually asking people to share their stories. And that's, like you said, you came to a lot of this while you were writing your story. And our stories are so important. And I think so often we want to hide. We want it to be our big secret. But you were willing to be vulnerable, Brene Brown, and share it and look at the people that have come out of the woodwork. Because you validated them. You were validated, which was so awesome. And then you're able to validate others. Tell me where we can get the book. Tell me about the workbook. How is that going to go? Are you going to do Zoom with people? The book, first of all, is available on Amazon, both in paperback and on Kindle. I know a lot of people aren't in a position to be able to spend that money right now on a book. And so I've made it available on YouTube. I know, Lori, you've been doing this as well. I read the book chapter by chapter on YouTube. I don't have the whole book up there yet, but I've got, I don't know, 15, 13, 14, 15 chapters. So please feel free to read along with me as I read it to you. So YouTube, and my name is Cordila Yoakum, and you spell that C-O-R-D-I-L-A. The last name is J-O-C-H-I-M. So that's how you get the From the Core book. From The From the Core workbook will be available January 1. We will have video also available along with that. And if you go to corehouse.com, that's C-O-R, H-O-U-S-E.com and you click on the tab that says book, you'll find all sorts of information. Sign up there to be the first when the book launches, how everything is going to roll out. If you sign up, you can subscribe via, via email and I'll let you know. You'll be the first to know. That is so great. Okay. So we've got that information. I need to know, where are you now? Are you walking? I am physically. Where am I now physically? Yes. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I am walking, talking, writing. I'm with my parents right now. Like so many of us during COVID, I actually returned home to my parents, mostly just to be with people and have company around me. And also it's been one of those things that's really made me question what's valuable in life. After the journey that my parents and I have had together, I really decided that spending time with them is of high value to me. So I'm with them right now, but not in the circumstance that I was before. I am up and at them physically so well. I'm so glad to hear that. What an amazing story. It's so interesting and fascinating, the life you have lived, and then to think you've done all these amazing things and then had all these setbacks. It's like the carpet keeps getting pulled out. Your story is that it gives hope to somebody that's been in bed or that's, like you say, disabled and could do a job if they were only given the parameters like you were. Thank you so much. And maybe in a few months, we can do a follow-up after your workbook comes out. I would love that. And if I could just leave your listeners with one thing, it's when you feel like your story is over, it has only just begun. Oh, wow. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community.